another episode of the Silk and Steel podcast. I am your host, Carl Zha. Today is June 8th, 2020. And as we speak, there's now a tension developing between two ancient giants, India and China. Uh, the, the border tension has escalated to the point that I have not seen since uh, since forever, uh, since I was not born in 1962 when China and India went to war over the border. So to help me talking through the issues is the English translator of the Chinese Karl Marx anime, Sun Fei Yang. And for the long-term audience of Silk and Steel podcast, you should be familiar with him because he's his multiple repeating guests on the show. Welcome to the show, Mr. Sun. Thanks, Carl. Uh, always glad to be back. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you, are, you are one of the... I think I got a lot of audience feedback. You know, they, they, want, you, they want you back. So here we are. Um, and this is today we're going to talk about a very important and very serious issue uh, developing between um, two Asian neighbors and... And uh, I, I saw I first became aware of this starting two weeks ago because I follow some Indian uh, national security people on Twitter and they starting to tweet uh, quite a bit about uh, tension developing on the border. And there's Indian media claim that that the Chinese PLA troops have actually invaded India and pushing into some say 10 kilometers into Indian held territory. And then um, just a few days ago, I saw a viral video um, was going around on the Indian Twitter. Uh, it showed that um, a, a, a pretty serious uh, escalation. Um, from, from, the, from the video, it looks like it's on... Um, the Sino-Indian border in the western sector, in the Ladakh sector, uh, specifically on the on the side of um, on the shore of uh, Lake Pangong or Pangong Chuo. Uh, Chuo is a Tibetan name for lake. Um, so Pangong Chuo. Sometimes it's called Pangong Chuo Lake, but that's kind of saying Pangong Lake Lake. But um, anyway, so on the shore of Pangong Chuo. The, what the video show is that a group of Indian soldiers were uh, throwing stones and sticks at a, in a Chinese uh, military vehicle. It looks like a hum, Hummer-like military vehicle, um, which start backing off. And on the ground is an injured Chinese soldier, PLA soldier who is bleeding. And several Indian soldiers were basically kicking him in the face while he was down. So it looks like he was captured. Uh, so that that's that's something new, you know. I have not seen, uh, you know, we we've seen Indian and Chinese soldiers fighting each other with stones and sticks uh, in previous years, especially during the Doklam crisis. I remember a famous video of uh, this uh, that went viral on the Chinese social media. It showed a, a, a Chinese. A PLA soldier jumping out of the rocks basically landed a kung fu kick on a on an Indian soldier, and but 
I have never seen uh, leaked footage or or photos of uh, of soldiers being captured on either side until, uh, like I said, a couple of days ago. And then following that, you know, I start seeing an uh, image being leaked on the Chinese social media on Weibo of um, this time showing Chinese PLA soldiers are captured, captured uh, a group of Indian soldiers who had their uh, hands and feet tied. Uh, you know, it's not a video, it's an image, but, you know, you can clearly see the PLA insignia and the Indian soldiers uh, insignia. And, and this is images like this I have not seen uh, except from the 1962 Sino-Indian War, when the two neighbors went to war over the border issue, so this is this is quite serious. Um, and in fact, uh, earlier today, I saw the one of the Chinese semi-official news, um, uh, semi-state media, uh, Global Times, released a video of showing the. Uh, showing the Chinese People's Liberation Army carrying out a military exercise, uh, basically showing them boarding planes from Hubei, uh, which is in central China, uh, that they made it to the Tibetan plateau under a um, few hours through, through uh, rail and combination of rail and air travel. It's an interesting video because you actually show mm -hmm. the PLA soldiers checking in and getting their tickets stamped by uh, stewardesses. It looks like a civilian airline airliner. And then, you know, they're riding like the the, the, the civilian train. I think it, it was the purpose of video would probably just show it more. It's more to sh uh, display the, the, the Chinese infrastructure, um, you know, the, the capability of of uh, the Chinese modern infrastructure to deliver troops to the frontier area. And of course, then the Indian side came out with, <laughs> with their own video of a, a, a military exercise carried out in the Ladakh area near the disputed border. Um, so the situation is pretty serious. Uh, I mean, I, I would think it's even more serious than, than the Doklam crisis. Really? Yes, yes. Um, but to make sense of all this, I think, uh, you know, for our audience who might not even aware of the Sino-Indian border issue, um, maybe it's, it's better, I think, it's to take a step back. And I, I like to give a, a historical overview of the Indian-China relationship and how did the border issue uh, developed and, and how that shaped you know, the perception from each side um, and, and, and how he led us to today. Um, sounds good? Sounds like a good plan? Yeah, I think that sounds good. Okay. Um, so I actually um, uh, created a Twitter thread, which I will uh, attach to the show notes to, our, to my Patreon patrons. Um, so one of the things... <clears throat> needs to point out is that, of course, India and China have are very ancient civilizations that have coexisted for a long time. 
right? That, you know, the, the so-called four ancient river valley civilizations, uh, India and China is two of them, right? So the, the ancient river valley civilization are the uh, Nile so, river civilization based in Egypt and the Euphrates and Tigris river valley civilization in ancient Mesopotamia or what is today's Iraq and and uh, southwest Turkey and northeast Syria. And then the other two, the one is the Indus Valley River, Indus River Valley Civilization, which today happened to mostly lay uh, within the boundary of modern state of Pakistan. But, you know, Pakistan was only created after 1947 partition after the British left. So, um, so you know, nor <clears throat> in a lot of cases, Indus Valley, Indus River Valley civilization is kind of considered part of the, you know, greater Indian civilization. And then, you know, then, of course, there's the Yellow River and the Yangtze River civilization of China. Now, through thousands of years, these two giant um, Asian civilization interacting with each other. Um, it's mostly peaceful. I mean, the, the reason for that is because through most of uh, history between China and India based empires, they actually didn't border each other. Um, right. if, if you look at how, you know, the most important interaction between India and China is of course cultural transmission, particularly uh, the transmission of Buddhism from India to China. But that happened via the ancient Silk Road uh, through Central Asia, uh, you know, through uh, Afghanistan yeah. and then Xinjiang, right? The, now to what's today's Xinjiang in Northwest China and through the Hershey Corridor or the other other way the Buddhist Buddhism came to China from India is through the maritime Silk Road through sea, you know, from uh, Sea of Bengal, <laughs> ships would sail from India down to Southeast Asia through the Strait of Malacca, you know, through go 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 to area like Java in Indonesia, and then from there go north through the South China Sea, then land in the port of Canton or, or Guangzhou, right? That's that's a two primary way uh, how Buddhism reached China, and, and one of the reasons, if you look at a map, right, it's almost like a two um how do you say it like two two arms right like but it, but there's there's a reason it's because there's massive massive himalayan mountain range and the tibetan plateau standing in between right and, so it's like both of them are have ways around that and yeah, well, exactly. those are practical for cultural transmission and trade it's not really militarily feasible right it's um yeah yeah um and i mean so the the the, the tibetan plateau you know it has its own ancient civilization you know one of the first ancient kingdom or civilization to arise up out of the tibetan plateau is is shangshung um shangshung is spelled z-h-a-n-g and Z H U N G in English. It's a it's a trans it's a romantization of the uh, of old uh, 
the old Tibetan. Um, but a lot of English speaker probably has no idea how to pronounce it. Um, so in, it, it's, it's actually pronounced Shangxiong. Uh, in that way, you know, the Chinese uh, uh, transliteration probably, you know, it's much closer to the Tibetan reading. Um, anyway, so this ancient civilization of Shangxiong is located in the Western Tibet. Um, so close to the area where it's uh, close to the present disputed border between China and India. So Shangxiong um, at one point included the, you know, the Indian uh, controlled region of Ladakh, uh, as well as Western Tibet. And the Shangxiong state religion is Bang. Uh, so Bang is an ancient animalist, animist shamanistic religion. Um, and through its uh, culture and religion, Shangxiong dominated most of Tibet for centuries. It, it was the hegemon in the area. But, you know, it has not too many direct contact with, with either Chinese uh, or Indian-based empire because it's set in such a remote area. Um, and then um, things start to change around... Um, around 600 uh, AD when the Tibetan Empire start to rose out of the Lhasa Valley. So, so that before the Tubo Kingdom, uh, the, the old proto-Tibetan Empire was actually a vassal state of Xiangxiong, but they grow powerful enough that they were able to overthrow the Xiangxiong yoke and they became the new dominant power on the Tibetan plateau. And mm -hmm. this is when, you know, the, the Tibet is starting to enter into a historical period when uh, they will have a lot of interaction with China-based empires. So we have a lot of uh, documentations and writing about this period. Um, and also at this time, the, the, the first emperor for the founder of the tibetan empire Songzang gampo actually commissioned um creation of the tibetan script right uh and and it's actually based on you know writings from india the indian script so from from then on we actually have uh documents written from a tibetan perspective um and and, and at one time, this, uh, you know, the Tibetan Empire, at its greatest extent, it stretched from Gulf of Bengal all the way to Afghanistan. And it, it was one of the major arrival of the Tang Dynasty China. Um, <clears throat> just to backtrack a little bit, uh, you know, like, so uh, as I talked about earlier, one of the main cultural interaction between China and India was exchange of ideas, especially the transmission of Buddhism from India to China. Um, there are a lot of early Chinese Buddhist pilgrims actually made the journey on the ancient Silk Road from China to India. One of the earlier uh, famous monk was a Jin Dynasty monk, Fa Xian. So Jin Dynasty came after the famous Three Kingdoms when you know Jin Dynasty reunified China. 
But uh, soon afterwards, the Jin Dynasty fell apart due to internal rebellions, uh, the so-called uh, <clears throat> uh, War of Eight Princes. So the, then the northern China became overran by um, a group of nomadic uh, horse riders, and, and the Jin Dynasty retreated to southern China. So this monk, uh, Fa Shen, traveled during this time. Um, he traveled first through the land Silk Road, through Central Asia, through the present day Xinjiang, uh, through Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. and, and he went to India to get the Sanskrit uh, scriptures. And he returned to China via South China Sea uh, through the Maritime Silk Road, like we talk about. This happened between uh, 399 and 412. You know, in fact, a lot of what we know about ancient India actually came through the, the writings of these early Chinese Buddhist travelers. So even though India has this rich history and ancient civilization, for some reason, uh, not a lot of writing, historical writing survive. You know, so so it's through the writings of these Chinese Buddhist travelers we come to know about um, the historical India. And then... Um, you know, the other famous monk is, of course, the Tang Dynasty monk Xuanzang. Uh, most, he, tra he traveled to, uh, he traveled from the Tang Dynasty capital of Chang'an all the way to India and back. And his, in fact, his, his journey was fictionalized during Ming Dynasty in a famous fantasy novel, uh, one of the four Chinese classics, the, the, the Journey to the West. Right. And right. and uh, so around this time, around the time um, when the Tibetan Empire arose of Tibetan Plateau, uh, became a rival to Tang China. And then this is around the time when kind of the where the empire is going to collide um, uh, and the India is going to come into the picture. So. Tang, uh, so, so the, the first founder, the founder of Tibetan Empire, Songtsang Gampo, um, he first went to, uh, to Tang court. He sent an envoy to Tang court to demand uh, a, a Chinese princess. He was refused. Uh, and then, you know, he sent an army to the, to the border of Tang dynasty. And then... Um, after several skirmishes, you know, the, finally the, the, the Tang Emperor Taizong agreed uh, to send Princess Wenchen to Tibet to wed him. Uh, soon afterwards, a Tang Dynasty diplomat, Wang Xuanze, went to India, uh, went to the Indian Emperor Hershey's court in 648. Uh, but by the time he arrived, the, the Indian Emperor Hershey died. And there was a, 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 a palace, a power struggle, and the new ruler, for whatever reason, decided to attack the Tang envoy, and Wang had to escape across the Himalayas. He so he he climbed, you know, Himalayas in the mid, middle of the winter, and he escaped to Tibet, to the court of the Tibetan Emperor Songtsang Gampo, who happened to be now the son-in-law of the Tang Dynasty Emperor Taizong. And in response to Tang's, uh, to Wang's plea, 
the Tibetan Emperor Songtsang Kampo decided to send in the army to India. Uh, and the Tibetan Emperor Songtsang Kampo sent 3,000 cal Tibetan cavalry and ordered his vassal king of Nepal to supply 7,000 cavalry, with Wang Xuanzhe acting as guide there across the Himalayas and to the, the sack the, <coughs> the capital uh, of India and <coughs> Magadha and capture the pretender to Hersha's, Emperor Hersha's throne um, and send him all the way back to the Tang Dynasty capital of Chang'an. Uh, in fact, if a visitor to the Tang Dynasty Emperor Tang Taizong's tomb in Xi'an today, you can see the statue of the Indian prisoner, the pretender, uh, standing in front of the Emperor Taizong's tomb. And uh, just a little tangent, uh, the, the Japanese novelist Yoshiki Tanaka, uh, who is author of the Le Legend of, of Galactic Heroes and the Heroic Legend of Arslan, also wrote a historical novel about Wang Xuanzhe's adventure in India, which was adapted into manga. So for people uh, <clears throat> who are manga aficionados should, should go check it out. So this was one of the rare instances where there, there was some conflict between China and India in the historical times. And soon after the death of its founder, the Tibetan Empire actually became a rival to the Tang Dynasty. So the Tibetan and the Tang army fought each other uh, in the area from Gilgit, Baltistan, which is just north of Kashmir, all the way to Tarim Basin in today's uh, today's Xinjiang. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, you know, India at this time is not really in the picture because you know it's 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 a a a, 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 a Tang. It was still a affair between the Tang Dynasty and the Tibetan Empire. And then in 842 AD, the mighty Tibetan Empire suddenly collapsed. And the last Tibetan imperial prince, he fled to the old Shangshong kingdom in the Western Tibet. Uh, so, so a lot of the old kingdoms in Tibetan plateau, um, they didn't disappear. They've just been vassalized under the Tibetan Empire. So the, the, the fugitive Tibetan uh, Prince, he brought a lot of Tibetan refugees with him, and he founded the Guge Kingdom uh, in the old realm of Shangshong, which is today's uh, today's Western Tibet and including Ladakh area um, in India. And after his death, his uh, his son split up the realm. So one of his son got the kingdom of Ladakh. Uh, one got Zanskar, which is another <coughs> Himalayan region in India, and one of the sons got the old seed of the Guge Kingdom in Western Tibet, and and the a sibling dynasty in Ladakh and Guge uh, ended up becoming bitter rivals, and in the 17th century, Ladakh actually wage a war extermination against the Guge Kingdom. Uh, it, it was successfully wiped out Guge Kingdom. This was recorded by a Jesuit priest who were, who were pre present in Guge Kingdom at the time. Um, and the Ladakh did, uh, king did not stop there. He decided to uh, attack Shigadze in 
central Tibet. So th at this time, you know, that was a domain of the fifth Dalai Lama. Um, you know, so so the, the you know the Tibet after the collapse of the Tibetan Empire, uh, you know, Tibet itself split split up into different feuding factions, and um, you know, one of the during the Taiwan-Mongol conquest in twelve forty, the Tibetan Lama from the Sakya school. Uh, Sakya Pandita, he voluntarily submitted to the Mongol rule, and and then that's when Tibet became officially incorporated. And later, Tibet was officially incorporated in by the Kublai Khan into the Yuan Yuan Empire, into the Yuan Dynasty he founded, that was based in uh, you know with capital in Beijing. So, but toward the end of the Yuan Dynasty, when the Mongol rule was challenged by rebellion in China, uh, a, a rival uh, Tibetan Buddhist school, the Kagyu school, Lama, uh, took the opportunity to overthrow the Mongol-backed Sakya regime, and he restored the Tibetan independence. And he got the recognition from the founder of the Ming Dynasty, uh, China Hongwu Emperor, um, but at this time, you know, Tibetan they largely ruled their own affairs until um, 15, 1540s. Uh, so around fifteen, the, the the Mongols retreated from China into the Mongolian steppe. Um, you know. So this, you know, they, the the Mongol nobility still maintain the pretension of uh, of that there's a successor of Yuan Dynasty. So this period, they this period, some kind sometimes it's called the Northern Yuan Dynasty, and uh, and the but the the Northern Yuan Dynasty soon fractured into different you know different Mongol tribes, and in 1547 the, the Altai Khan of two men Mongols. He became the most powerful Mongol ruler, and he actually forced the royal lineage of the Mon Mongol Northern Yuan Dynasty, the the leader of the Sahar tribe, to flee. But he, you know, he he is kind of a pretender to the throne, right? He he's not from the senior branch that descended from the Kublai Khan. So to boost his own legitimacy, he invited the Tibetan Lama Sonan Gyatso to convert the Mongols to Buddhism. Now, Sunan Gatso came from a different Tibetan Buddhism school. It's a Galupa school. Um, and this Galupa school with, uh, with a Mongol patronage would become the most dominant in Tibet. And the, the, the Altan Khan of the two men Mongol also named uh, the Tibetan Lama Sunan Gatso Dalai Lama. You know, Dalai is a is a, a, a Mongolian name. Uh, it means like uh, like oceanic, right? And and uh, so so we, the Sonan Gatso then uh, kind of post uh, retroactively made his three his his previous masters uh, as the first, second, and third. Um, for as first and second Dalai Lama, so he's 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 actually officially the third Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
you know, as part of the bargain, Altan Khan's great grandson was to chosen to be the next reincarnation of the Dalai Lama, and he was escorted to Tibet by the Mongolian cavalry to assume the throne. But he, being a Mongol, he was not accepted by the local Tibetans, and eventually the Tibetan Tsangba King drove him and the other Mongols out in 1605. So we're by this time we're coming to the end of the Ming Dynasty China, and um, uh, and this time you know the the there's the, the the Mongolian step is still split among the rival factions. So of the or the, the Western Mongols, so the Oria Mongol, um, there was a tribe of uh, the, the Kushu tribe of the Oria Mongols. They they had a they had a um, dispute at the time with the dominant tribe of the Oriya Mongols, the Zhuangars. So the Kushi Khan of the Kushu tribe, he uh, decided, uh, you know, he will seek out greener pastures, so to speak. And so he decided to invade Tibet in support of the fifth Dalai Lama, because remember the fourth Dalai Lama was, was driven out by the Tibetans. Um, in fact, the Tibetan Tsangba King was came from a different different Lama school. Um, I think he found the Kagyu school. Uh, anyway, uh, but the but the Mongols at the time, most of the Mongols are now have been converted to the Galupa school. So they're they're all you know students of Dalai Lama. So so Gushi Khan uh, under the pretense of supporting the fifth Dalai Lama, he invaded Tibet and he was doing we were able to do that very successfully, crush the local Tibetan kings, and the Kushi Khan founded the Kushu Khanate in Tibet. So the Mongols would control the secular and military affairs while the Dalai Lama controlled the spiritual matter. Uh, but eventually, you know, Dalai Lama come out on top and he started to assert his you know, using his religious authorities to start to order the Mongols around. So this time it was a Dalai Lama that ordered the Mongol prince Gaudan Tsewang in 1679 to lead a Mongol-Tibetan expedition against Ladakh, who has invaded Western Tibet, wipe out the Guga kingdom, and was about to, you know, expand further into central Tibet. Um, Ladakh was not uh, you know, they could not withstand the, the combined Mongol-Tibetan expedition. So in order to save their own skin, they uh, petitioned help from Mughal Empire. Uh, you know, they submit, voluntarily submitted to Mughal Empire to seeking submission. So Mughal Empire being the Mughal Empire of India. Uh, so this is the first time the region of Ladakh would enter into the orbit of India. Um, you know, for people who are not familiar with their geography, just look up Ladakh, look, look up Kashmir, you know, so, so, so today Ladakh was, um, until very recently, until this year, was a region of the Indian state of Jammu and Kashmir. And it's only until very, like within last year, that India modified their constitution to split up the region of Ladakh from Kashmir to become its own independent region. And and but it's a primarily Buddhist and Tibetan speaking region, and and the the Tibetan side didn't let the matter rest. In fact, the fifth Dalai Lama then sought help from his former students, the Gaudan 
Khan of of the Zhuangar Mongols. You know, Zhuangars are was a very strong inner Asian power at the time. They they uh, founded the Zhuangar Khanate in uh, today's uh, would be today's Xinjiang region. Uh, so the Zhuangar army answered the call of Dalai Lama, and they marched onto the Ladakh capital, Le, uh, 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 in 1684, uh, basically forcing the Ladakh king to bend the knee in the Treaty of Timosan. And, and this fixed the Ladakhi-Tibet border uh, at the Lahari stream near Demchok. So this, this is... This is basically the present. This is still the present border between China and India. So and, is that the same border that's a, like generally accepted today? Um, we we will talk. We will get there. We will get because the dispute didn't. This didn't settle the border once for all. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. because um, uh, so so up to this point, uh, this this. We have basically talking about a strife between different inner Asian powers, right? Between the Tibetans and the Mongols. But the the Zhuangar Khan uh, Gaudans, uh, he would go on to expand his uh, realm into Outer Mongolia, and his annexation of Outer Mongolia would put him into direct conflict with the Qin Empire in China. Now, uh, the Khalkha Mongols of the Outer Mongolia, they all fled uh, the invading Zhuangars into Inner Mongolia, and they, they went to bend the knee to the Qin Emperor Kangxi to seek protection from the invading Zhuangar Mongols. And, and uh, so, so, you know, this is the time when the Qin Empire officially would annex um, Outer Mongolia, and then they would send an army to defeat uh, the Zhuangar Khan Gaodan, but the the the, the Qin War actually lasted almost a century. Uh, but eventually, uh, during the reign of Qianlong Emperor in 1750s and 1760, you know, you will lead to the complete in, uh, victory for the Qin Empire. Qin, the Qin Empire will eventually conquer uh, all the land previously under the Zhuangar Khanate. Um, and and this new land was renamed Xinjiang, right? Which literally means new territory in 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 Chinese. Um, and and this 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 actually not just Xinjiang, but also Tibet, because you know Dalai Lama has a lot of uh, religious authority over the Mongols. So the Qin Empire, in order to control all the Mongols, uh, which you know, you know, Qin Emperor claims to rule all the Mongols. So, so, so to do that, they they had to control Dalai Lama. So they send an army into Tibet, officially incorporating Tibet and Xinjiang into the maps of Qin Empire. Uh, and and at the same time, the Mughal Empire of India was in decline, uh, especially with the death of Emperor Aurangzeb. Death in 1709. Um, in in the in its place, you know, in the in the power vacuum in northwest India, arose the the Sikh 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 Empire, which would reach its peak in 
1839. Now that's a very important date because 1839 we are approaching the time of Opium War. Um, now the Sikh Empire they, they made a quick expansion. They conquered the the first they conquered the uh, the Muslim region of Kashmir, and and then they they start to bump up against the border of Qin Dynasty China, and it's at this point. We you will in, enter into our story. Either the slimiest or craftiest character, depending on your perspective. Uh, a, a, a guy named Gulab Sin. He's a founder of the Dogra dynasty and the first Maharaja of the princely state of Jammu and Kashmir. So Gulab Sin was born into a, a, a Dogra Rajput clan that had ruled parts of Jammu. Before the rise of a Sikh empire, uh, you know, during the Sikh empire expansion, the Sikh empire forced Jammu to bend the knee in 1808, and um, and because there was another rebellion, Sikh empire actually uh, uh, reconquered it, and then in 1820, stripped away the the kingship from from the previous ruler of Jammu and give it to. Gulab Singh's father, because Gulab Singh, uh, there are kind of like a junior branch of the ruling family, but because the, the Jammu's ruler rebelled against the Sikh Empire, uh, you know the, the Sikh Empire stripped the the, the throne from the for, from the previous ruler and give it give the governorship to Gulab Singh's father. Now Gulab Singh himself then would uh, you know join the Sikh Empire's military. Uh, and became a play a very important part in in the court politics of Sikh Empire. But this is this is eighteen. So we're running into the mid nineteenth century, right? So, so the British was already fully entrenched in India, and they start to expand north. And eventually, Gulab Singh he works betray the Sikh Empire to the British in 1846 for recognition of his own rule in Jammu and Kashmir as uh, the, the ruler of the princely state. Um, you know, so Gulab Singh, bef even before 1846, Gulab Singh has been uh, basically in cahoots with, with the British. Um, you know, for the Gulab Singh, it's, he's, he's, he's a man for himself, right? I mean, he, he, he came from a feudal uh, ruling family. He was forced to join the Sikh Empire, but he was always trying to maximize his own domain, and and so even before he would officially betray the Sikh Empire to the British, you know he was trying to uh, he was doing a lot of land grabs in his in the surrounding region. You know, first uh, you know he expanded his control to Kashmir, and. Uh, you know, Dogra Rajput, they're, they're Hindu uh, dynasty, but he expanded the control to, to Muslim majority Kashmir, and then he will send his general Zorawar Singh to conquer the Buddhist Ladakh and and then the Muslim Baltistan and 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 and, and later Gilgit as well. So you know, people now you know when they talk about Kashmir, Kashmir. Uh, sometimes they're talking about the Indian-controlled uh, area of Jammu Kashmir, but that whole area, um, 
used to be, you know, part of the princely kingdom of Jammu Kashmir that was ruled by descendant of Gulab Singh. And then Gulab Singh basically slapped together a, 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 a very a, a separate regions together to form his own princely state. Um, but one of the things uh, Zorawar Singh did after he invaded, conquered Ladakh and Baltistan is uh, he didn't stop there. He launched his own invasion of Tibet. Uh, this happened in 1841. Uh, so this is right in the middle of the first Opium War uh, between Britain and Qin Empire, when, when British gunboats were sailing, sailing up and down the Chinese coast, bombarding and sacking Chinese towns. Uh, now, the Tibetans called the Zorawar Singh's invasion the Semba War. Uh, pa is a, is a Tibetan postfix for people um, because a lot of the, the people, a lot of the um, uh, a lot of the people under Zorawar Sin has a last name name uh, Sin. So uh, in Tibetan Sin, uh, they call it the 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 Senpa War. You know, the the, the war with the Sin people. Um, but the, their, the the main the core of the Zorawar Sin's uh, invasion force are the Dogra Rajputs. Uh, right, so it's, even though sometimes this is called Sikh invasion of Tibet, but um, because Gulab Singh at this point was nominally under the Sikh Empire, but it's actually his own <clears throat> little private expedition to expand his own realm. And the core of invasion force again is the Dogra, with uh, some of some of the newly conquered uh, people from Ladakh and Baltistan were press gang into into the invasion force. And uh, so the again, the year is 1841, right? So Qin Empire was uh, pretty preoccupied with the uh, with the British fleet um, sacking the Chinese coast. And they they didn't have much time to attend to you know frontier like Western Tibet, and uh, and and also at this time Zorawar Singh's Dogra invasion force had guns and cannons, and and the Tibet local Tibetan troops were armed mostly with swords, spears, and ancient muskets. Uh, I will post a picture of the Tibetan cavalry and Tibetan armor from 17th 18th century uh, to the website of my Silk and Steel Patreon page. And uh, under the pretext of a traditional Hindu pilgrimage to the sacred Mount Kalash in, in Western Tibet. So Mount Kalash is, is uh, held to be sacred to, to, to in Hinduism. And uh, both the Mount uh, Kalash and the, the Pangong Lake, right? So, so they, you know, annually a lot of uh, Hindu pilgrims would come to uh, circumbobulate uh, the Mount Kalash and to drink the water from the Lake Pangong. So under the pretext of a religious pilgrimage, he led this invasion force and unprepared Tibetan troops hastily retreated before his overwhelming force. And... Um, <clears throat> And again, you know, Qin Dynasty government at this time, they were actually mobilizing Tibetan troops in eastern Tibet, in 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 area like the the 
today's uh, Tibetan region of Sichuan, right? You, you know, like they had they had they had Tibetan troops boarding ships to sail down the Yangtze River to fight the British in the First Opium War on the Chinese coast. So they could scarcely send any reinforcement to Western Tibet to fend off against this invasion. So the Qin court ordered the Qin Anban in Lhasa, Mengbao, and the and the Tibetan local Kasha Council to organize local resistance. And the Bantan Lama mobilized the local population to supply the Tibetan troops uh, regroup at this uh, snow-covered Mayun Lap Pass um, that 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 stand in the way of Zorawa's invasion force to Shigazi, right? Shigazi is a uh, is a seed of Bantan Lama, so he he was very motivated to to defend his own turf and and you know to call up to use his religious authority to call up on the local population, um, and also Zorawar Singh didn't help his own cause because you know one of the um, rationale for his. Uh, for his expedition, for his invasion to Tibet, was uh, you know he was motivated for loot and booty. So they his troops starting to lo- looted several uh, Buddhist monasteries in the area because you know at the time you know Tibetans would um, offer a lot of treasures to the local monastery, and and you know a lot of the Buddhist statues were were uh, painted with gold and and so so monasteries are like basically treasure treasure houses and and it was treated as, as such by the Zorawar Singh's uh, invasion force but his plundering of the local Buddhist monastery really enraged the local Tibetan population so after uh, the reinforcement arrived in snow the Tibetan army um, were sally forth from their defensive position in Ma Yunla uh, Pass, and they retake they retake this uh, this town Taklak uh, Taklakat in order to cut off Zorar Singh's line of communication, and they anticipated a counterattack uh, from Zorawar Singh, so they they then laid the ambush on 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 his way. And so Zorawar Singh also at so this is middle of the winter in this you know December and and Zorawar Singh uh, his his way back to the way he come from was basically cut off by snow so he he made a he made a decision to 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 throw all his forces uh, trying to to retake this Tibetan fortress. And you know, he, again, the Tibetan anticipated his move, ambushed him. So, in a climatic final battle, in a big snowstorm, the Tibetan troops successfully ambushed Zorawar Singh's force. Um, General Peishi, uh he hit Zorawar with a musket shot. Uh, you know, shot him from the horse. But Zorawar Singh, to his credit, he continued to fight on foot with his swords and and he was surrounded by a group of Tibetan soldiers one Tibetan soldier stabbed him through with a spear and then uh, you know he Zorawar Singh was then beheaded on the battlefield so that ends his uh, little misadventure in Tibet and Zorawar Singh's head was taken back to Lhasa 
to put on display. And then the Sino-Tibetan forces mopped up the remaining Dogra garrison in western Tibet and chased the remainders back to Ladakh. So, you know, Tibet and Ladakh already have this ancient field. So now this is the time the Sino-Tibetan army then, you know, press on with their momentum and lay the siege to the Ladakh capital Le in 1842. And, uh, but the Gulab Singh, you know, sent a large reinforcement from Jammu into Ladakh. So Qin forces weren't able to take the, the Ladakh capital. And then the Dogra forces flooded the Tibetan camp with damned river water. Um, and, and in the end, the two sides, you know, finally sat down in, in the Treaty of Chusu, which, uh, this, which basically agreed to restore the pre-war war border boundaries along the Pangong Lake. Now, the, the, the thing with the, the treaty is it's really a treaty of non-aggression pact, and it didn't, it didn't declare like a demarcate clear line of boundary. In fact, at this time, most of the land between, um, you know, the Ladakh capital and the populated town in Western Tibet, there's a whole lot of, uh, empty no man's land, a lot of desert, right? It didn't make sense for people, you know, at least for, for, for people back then to fight over uh, no man's land, right? And, uh, you know, what, what was mo most important is, um, you know, maybe an outpost on the major trade route, uh, you know, populated centers. That's what people were, uh, you know, concerned about. It's, it's, it's where people lived. Um, you know, to, to demarcate line, like in a linear fashion, to declare like a demarcate boundary in a linear fashion is a, it's a kind of a, uh, it's a bit of a, a, a concept that was brought up by, by the European colonial, colonialization in, in this part of the world before the boundary is kind of vague. It's, it's not very clear. Um, uh, in fact, you know, most of the Pangong Lake is, is kind of, Nobody lives there, you know. What's the point of fighting over it, right? So, but the but the the, the unfortunately the border again was not settled. Um, so Maharaja of Jammu Kashmir, Gulab Singh, uh, as we mentioned before, in few years later he would betray the Sikh Empire, and for his reward, the British um, led him basically recognize him as the ruler uh, of the princely state of Jammu Kashmir. And then in 1856, Gulab Singh abdicated to his son because of poor health. And his son, Ramir Singh, sided with the British in the Indian Rebellion of 1857. And he sent troops to help the British besiege the Indian uprising in Delhi. And then he will also take the opportunity to, to annex Hangza and Gilgit into his Jammu Kashmir princely state. Um, now his uh he also looked the Rambir Singh like his father also wanted to expand his realm further east into Tibet and Xinjiang. Now to help him, he hired a British surveyor, uh, William H. Johnson, to put forth to his claim. Um, so in 
around this time, 1863, uh, the Dungan or Hui Muslim revolt uh, in northwest China finally spread to Xinjiang. So this is the aftermath of the in the aftermath of the Taiping Rebellion in China. Uh, it, it, the, the Taiping Rebellion's Western expedition basically touched off a huge uh, Muslim revolt in northwest China. Uh, you know, sometimes it's called the Dungan Revolt in the West. Um, Dungan is what the Turkic uh, Muslim people called the Hui Muslim, the, the Chinese-speaking Muslim. Um, so, but in 1863, the Dungan, the Hui Muslim Revolt, uh, in northwest China started to spread to Xinjiang because at the time in the Qing Empire, a lot of the army of the Qing Empire station in Xinjiang, they are uh, composed of Hui Muslims. So, so many of these Hui Muslim soldiers revolted against the, the Qing rule. And the result is a complete collapse of the Qing Empire's rule in Xinjiang. And this presented an opportunity for the ruler of the Jammu Kashmir, Rambir Sin, who wanted to expand his control further east. And taking advantage of this, the, the chaos in Xinjiang and the collapse of the Chinese rule, uh, the governor of Ladakh uh, sent a small force to Shahidullah. Uh, now, this is a little strategic point on the trade route from Ladakh to Khotan and Kashgar in Xinjiang. And, and, uh, and, and Shahidullah sits, um, it's checkpoint on the, the vital trade route. It's like, a, it's kind of a, serves as both a checkpoint and also like to supply the caravan, caravans. And it's between the Kar, uh, Karakoran range and the Kunlun mountains, right? So they, the, 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 the reason the governor of Ladakh did this is because the trade route into Xinjiang is very lucrative and he wanted to be able to impose tax taxes on the on the caravans and so when Xinjiang then Johnson William H Johnson who is in the pay of the Maharaja of Jammu Kashmir uh, took this opportunity to uh, lead an expedition all the way to Khotan right so at this time Khotan Kashgars are all in the hands of the rebel forces right the Qin rule has been completely wiped out in Xinjiang at this time uh, so so no, nobody care about that little checkpoint uh, near no man's land. Uh, and and uh, so William Johnson, let's keep in mind that he's in the pay of the Maharaja. He surveyed, uh, he was surveyor, so he surveyed the land from Ladakh to Khotan. And then, then he put on the map the maximalist claim by the ruler of Jammu Kashmir beyond their traditional boundary to the Kunlun mountain range, right? So he's, in doing so, he included this huge area called Aksai Chain and Shakskan in, into the Jammu Kashmir's claim map. Now, this is kind of a, basically like a private gig he did on behalf of the Maharaja of Jammu Kashmir. In fact, when the British uh, foreign office in British India find out about this, they actually censure Johnson for his unauthorized crossing of boundaries uh, on, on, on a, essentially a private gig. Um, 
And, and then in 1877, China reconquered Xinjiang under the general Zhuo Zongtang. So, so before the approach of uh, General Zhuo Zongtang's Chinese army, Jammu Kashmir, uh, governor of Ladakh, abandoned the outpost in uh, Shahidullah um, and, and assumed that the, the Chinese army would send their own um, sentries into Shahidullah area. So this is this basically ended the effective control. The, you know, just a couple of years, in a couple of years of effective control of state of Jammu and Kashmir into this um, essentially no man's region. But uh, for his own effort of putting on the map the Jammu Kashmir's maximalist claim, uh, William Johnson was rewarded generously by the Maharaja of Jammu Kashmir. In fact, he was made into the governor of Ladakh uh, for this for his troubles. Now, uh, now we're at the point where uh, Britain had basically expanded to the full uh, extent in the subcontinent. Now they're worried about the Russian uh, expansion in Central Asia because. Uh, British originally tried to counter the Russian influence by proactively going to Afghanistan and to subjugate Afghanistan. But British spent so much blood and treasure in two Afghan war. Eventually, Britain decided uh, gave up on the dream of of. Uh, controlling Afghanistan in the in the manner of India, so they they settled for um, <clears throat> uh, setting up a, a Afghan a friendly government in Afghanistan uh, under British influence. Uh, you know, stable stabilize Afghanistan against uh, the Russian encro uh, encroachment. Now, at this point, they're, they're worried about um, <laughs> they're worried about the Russia penetrating into India from other other direction right because for the for the British the India was a crown in the jewel of the British Empire the, the British was squeezing extract so much resources and treasure from India they, they could not risk to lose this the, the crown of their empire right and then and then um, after the stabilized Afghan, Afghan frontier, they worried that, that Russia would, you know, conquer the Xinjiang area of China and then from that direction, from Xinjiang penetrating into Kashmir and, and then further on to India. So, so, so the British now pushed to demarcate the border with China and they start to propose uh, several borders to the Chinese Qing government. And, and uh, all their proposals have been ignored and rejected because, you know, the, the Chinese have some very unfortunate experiences with demarcating border with the, with the foreign powers, you know, whether British or Russian. You know, each time they sit down in a treaty, you know, a slice of China get chopped off. So, you know, the, 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 the Qing government just decided to ignore the British uh, request to, to settle the border. And, and British among themselves, you know, said, you know, 
went back and forth on this border issue because th th there was two schools of thoughts. One is the, the, the forward school who wanted to put, to claim as much territory as possible for British India um, and to push the boundary as north as possible. This is, this is a school that um, in 1897, a British, um, a British general discovered the, the Johnson's, uh, basically discovered the William Johnson's map, the claim to claim a territory for Jammu Kashmir all the way up to the Kunlun Mountain. And he proposed, yes, we, we, should, uh, we should adopt that as our claim because you know, Kunlun Mountain, that's a big mountain range. It's, it's more uh, defensible. If we have to fend off the Russians, it's better to do it at the, in the pass of Kunlun Mountains. But, but then there, there are other schools in the, in the British uh, Foreign Office that thought, you know, maybe it's better to pop, prop up China uh, to deter the, the, the Russian advances, right? So they didn't want to, to, um, to, to go too aggressive on the border issue to press with China. So in the end, the border was never demarcated. And this is a, this, this section of the border is, is um, just north of the traditional Ladakh and Tibet borders. This is, a, this is the area between Xinjiang and Ladakh, right? This particularly, uh, there's a huge no man's land between the two mountain range, between the Kunlun Mountains and the, the, um, the Karakorn, High, uh, Korn, Karakorn Mountain Range. Most of it's no man's land, and there was one outpost that we in the region that we talk about, the, the Shahidullah, um, which was basically a, a caravan checkpoint uh, that was only controlled by uh, Jammu Kashmir for in the space of a few years. Uh, but you know, then the Chinese took back the control. So all this time, while the British were going back and forth on the map, they didn't actually have any control on the ground. You know, all the claims is on the maps existed on paper only, right? So fast forward to 1947. This when you know finally uh, Britain decided to leave India, and and before they left. They left with a legacy of partition, right? They decided to divide up in like uh, India between uh, a Muslim majority region of Pakistan and and the the rest of India. And, and at this time, a lot of the pr formerly princely state uh, of British India were giving a choice, you know, you know what they want to do, uh, who they want to join. But for the Maharaja of Jammu Kashmir. The, the, the Hindu Dogra dynasty, they, they want a third option. <laughs> they want to check the, 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 the check box says neither because they wanted to continue their rule as an independent kingdom. And uh, the, so they, they held off. They held off on joining either Pakistan or India. Now the Pakistan leader, Janai, would have none of that. So he was sponsored the Afghans uh, to in send the Afghans into the regions. By Afghans, uh, you, I mean the really the Pashtuns of um, 
of uh, of of Pakistan because Afghan is in the older times it's another it's an ethnic name for the Pashtuns. So you will send all these Pashtun tribesmen down into Jammu Kashmir and try to grab the territory and that. Uh, you know, panic the the Maharaja of Jammu Kashmir. He realized he's going to lose his entire princely state. So he he, he then s- turned to India to say, "Okay, I you know I, I I'm willing to sign up to 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 bring the entire Jammu Kashmir under India." And you know, so the, then the Indians sending the army. Eventually, you know, they were, touched off a, a you know the first Kashmir War uh, with with Pakistan control the northern half of it and the India controlled the southern half of the former princely state of Jammu Kashmir, right? And and uh, then there's also the question: Where does the map of India end? So in 1947, the newly independent India they decided to adopt the maximalist Johnson line. To claim the whole of Aksai Ching as part of the Jammu Kashmir, even though this claim has only ever existed on paper. So, um, up to this point in 1947, China is in the midst of a civil war, right between the 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 uh, between the communists and the Chiang Kai-shek regime. And and uh, you know Tibet and Xinjiang at this time was mostly left to their own divides. I mean, in terms of uh, Tibet, after the collapse of Qin Empire in 1911, uh, the the Qin army was kicked out of uh, of Lhasa, and then then the 14th Dalai Lama returned to Lhasa from British India, and and and, and basically. Um, ruled Tibet until his death, and and again, like there's um, there's no no power at the point you know to to contend with with Indians' claims in 1947, mm-hmm. and and then but that quickly changed. You know when uh, Mao decided to send People's Liberation Army into Tibet and into Xinjiang. You know in Xinjiang in 1949 and in Tibet in 19, uh, 1950. And Xinjiang, you know, at the time was divided between the KMT held uh, uh, southern half, the Tarim Basin area, and the the forces held by the the uh, the, the so-called the three district. The three northern district of in Altai and Yili, they were being held by the uh, a group of Uyghur and Kazakh communists, um, and 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 the both side in Xinjiang, both the the, the Uyghur and Kazakh communists and the KMT forces decide in 1949 to join with the Chinese communists, and and basically the the KMT garrison basically surrendered. Right, they defected, um, and the, the the Uyghur Kazakh communists agreed to uh, to merge with the Chinese Communist Party, and and in Tibet, the People's Liberation Army entered in 
and and this is yes. and this now you know finally we have we're going to have um a border issue right and and so far i only even talk about the western sector of the dispute and uh, so let, let me just finish that up so in order to link up tibet with uh, rest of the china especially uh, in 1950s, China PRC built a road from Xinjiang to Tibet through the Aksai chain plain, this, this uh, stretch of no man's land between Xinjiang and Tibet. Now, remember that Aksai chain happened to fall within the maximalist Johnson line, the, the claim that claim Aksai chain was part of Jammu Kashmir. So now the Indian press starting to claim that China built a road on Indian territory, even though, you know, India never controls this part of the world, not even under the British rule, right? This, this was mm-hmm. a paper claim. Um, and so this would bring the, the start of, of the border dispute between the two. But there's another section of the border uh, in the Eastern sector, that was also disputed, and that was perhaps more famous because it was named after uh, a British colonialist, McMa- Henry McMahon. Uh, you know, this is an infamous McMahon line. So, the um, in the southwest of Tibet, uh, the, the you know the Tibetan, uh, like I said, the Tibetan Empire used to stretch from Lhasa all the way down to uh, Bay of Bengal. So the Tibetan cultural influence actually spilled over to the southern half of the, to the southern slope of the Himalayas, right? And, and but this area, again, as the Tibetan empire collapsed, you know, Tibet broke up into different rival factions. This area was kind of ruled by its own independent uh, kingdom. Uh, this area of southern Tibet. Um, in fact, the, the it's it's called uh, in in Chinese it's called Bomi Tuwang, and the king of Bomi uh, actually claimed descent, uh, n- not descent, but they were um, they were a sibling line from the uh, the Tibetan Empire royal lineage. Like there, there are parallel basically. Um, so during in the time of the Tibetan Empire, that the, the king of Bomi was a vassal under the Tibetan Empire. After collapse of the Tibetan Empire, king of Bomi basically became its own man, and then he ruled that region under its own name. So even you know we talk about Dalai Lama holding holding sway in Tibet, but Dalai Lama actually never. Uh, uh, really control the area of southern Tibet. Uh, the, 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 never exerted control over Kingdom of Bomi. I mean, Kingdom of Bomi, they claim um, a two thousand year old history, basically stretched to the times before even the, the foundation of Tibetan Empire. Um, and and they uh, so during Qin Empire, King of Bomi nominally became a subject of the Qin Empire, but um, they would still do things like they would uh, raid the caravans, especially the tributes that were sent from Lhasa to Beijing, you know, that would pass through their territory. And because they're, they're in such a remote area, they were kind of tolerated. 
Um, and then in 19, until 1900, so in 1900, the British uh, would launch their ex invasion, their own invasion of Tibet under Francis' young husband. Um, and, and they were able to push from India, British India, into Lhasa. And that's when the, the 14th Dalai Lama were driven away and fled to Mongolia. And, and this, this shocked the Qing court. Because this happened just right around the time of Boxer Rebellion, right after Beijing was sacked, and now they see that the the, the British uh, didn't have enough. They're trying to come through Tibet. So the Cixi uh, Dowager Empress Dowager Cixi, she um, she uh, issued a decree, basically deprived the fourteenth Dalai Lama's uh, rule over Tibet. Uh, he was for he she actually forbid. 14th Dalai Lama to return to Tibet, uh, and she sent an army uh, under the Sichuan governor Zhao Erfeng to lead an army from Sichuan to enter into Tibet. And um, but from Sichuan to Tibet, going to Lhasa, they have to pass through this region of southern Tibet, uh, Burmi, uh, right? Who, <laughs> as I mentioned before. Who is really his own man? He he would do stuff like uh, raiding caravans from 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 Lhasa to Beijing. So Zhao Erfeng decided to take this opportunity to take care of this problem once for all. So so the Sichuan army left Sichuan and on on their way to Lhasa, they attacked the kingdom of Burmi and 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 wipe it out. Uh, forced the king of Burmi to flee across Himalayas. Uh, to the south, south, southern side of the Himalayas, and then, then the Qin army actually pursued him there, uh, and 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 basically only stop at the traditional boundaries uh, of the 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 kingdom of Burmi, and this was on the southern slope of Himalayas, and they set up some some checkpoints, you know, probably for the first time. Uh, like uh, 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 you know, this 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 area was directly administered by the central government, but the situation didn't last long because nine, by 1911, the Chinese Revolution will break out, and that will cause a collapse of the Qing Empire, and suddenly this Sichuan army, this Chinese army, got trapped in Tibet and. And there was actually a, uh, and the the British, the fourteenth Dalai Lama, British were very successful basically in convincing the fourteenth Dalai Lama to flee to British India. And from British India, um, during the Chinese Revolution of nineteen eleven, they financed uh, the Dalai Lama to return to Lhasa at head of a Tibetan army to lay siege to besiege siege the the. The, the the last basically the last Qin army in Lhasa, um, so they were able to basically uh, force uh, the the Qin army to give up and and to to withdraw. Um, you know they actually had to withdraw by the way of India because back then there was no good roads from 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 Tibet to China directly. And and so that allowed Fourteenth Lama to return to his rule in Lhasa. Now, um, British want their cut, right? So, so this is already in the republic, Republican era in China. 
Um, but after 1911, you know, Tibet basically gained its autonomy. And so, uh, but China never gave up the claim on Tibet, of course. And, and the, even British still recognize, uh, you know, Tibet as part of China. So they, they decided, okay, let's, let's sit down uh, uh, and talk about this. So, did, so Brit, Brits wants to preserve kind of the, the, the Tibetan autonomy, um, that's autonomous from the, the Chinese Republican government. Um, so they, they invited China, the representative from China, from Tibet, sit down for a talk in, 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 in Salma, in a you know, southern uh, slope of Himalayas in, in, in British India. And there's a couple of things, uh, a couple of agenda on the talk. You know, British want to demarcate border between Tibet and what they term China proper, right? So they, they want to de de demarcate a boundary between basically what Dalai Lama would control versus what the Chinese central government would control. And then they would want to de demarcate a border between the British India and Tibet. And, uh, you know, then, you know, Tibet, uh, you know, the, the British, they're all about looking for defensive positions. So, so they realize, wait a minute, that the, <laughs> The, you know the, the the southern Tibet. You know the area used to be ruled by King of Burmi. That area spilled south, uh, spilled over to south to the to the southern slope of Himalayas. That's unacceptable, right? They want they want to put the border right on the ridge line of the Him highest peak of the Himalayan range. They don't want they don't want they don't want any Tibetan controls or Chinese claims south of the Himalayas. Um, so Henry McMahon proposed uh, a, a new boundary line named after himself, the McMahon line. So he will push the traditional boundary north to basically to the ridge line of the Himalaya mountain, basically carve out all the Tibetan regions uh, or the, the southern Tibet region that's south of Himalayas, incorporate them into British India, right? And now, you know, the Chinese representative find none of the terms acceptable. And they neither didn't want to give up a claim to, to Tibet, you know, like that's what they see the, you know, ultimately what's behind design of the British, you know, British want to demarcate a, a line between, boundary between, you know, Tibet and, and uh, China proper. And then, and then also the you know the other part that to recognize Mekamahon line would would amount to ceding a new piece of territory to to British and, and you know so the, so the Chinese representative to Selma talks actually walked out uh, without ratifying and now British stuck with the uh, a treaty they propose and they only have the you know the the, the representative of the Tibetan government so that so then the, the the Britain decide to go ahead and sign this treaty with the uh, with the local Tibetan government on the under 14th Dalai Lama now remember the 14th Dalai Lama was propped up by the British right so he you know, in a lot of way he depended on British and um, and it so happens that in 1914, Dalai Lama's forces didn't really control that area south of Himalayas either. 
because <laughs> after Kingdom of Bomi was wiped out, uh, he but after the collapse of the Qing Empire, the the son-in-law of the last king of Bomi would stage a comeback. He, he, he went back from the southern slope of Himalayas and reclaimed the old kingdom, and he would continue the feud with the Lhasa government. So from the perspective of the, for the, the, the Dalai Lama's government in Lhasa, it's like, okay, this is an area we don't control anyway, and you will please the British, and, and you, know, you will get British on our side to help us uh, you know, to fend off the the claims uh, from from uh, from the from the from the Chinese central government. So sure, you know, so it's, it's necessary sacrifice. <laughs> and and uh, but you know, this is this is nineteen fourteen. We're 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 pushing we're pushing um, World War One here. So World War One soon broke out. And the British bureaucracy soon f- totally forgot about this treaties, this Treaty of Selma and this McMahon line, because they have more pressing, more urgent business to attend to, right? <laughs> Especially mm-hmm. in Europe, and and uh, and then the, the 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 you know the um, the local the Bomi Kingdom, the the, the Bomi King, the re- resurrected Bomi Kingdom, carry on their war with the government in Lhasa until 1927 and finally they were defeated by the by the by the Tibetan army and the the, 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 the you know the Tibetan army incorporated that area into their control so the so the Lhasa government then finally sent the Tibetan Lama administrators in south of Himalayas in this region to to administer the rule now Fast forward a few years to 1935. Um, so this is when you know we're, we're we're already like approaching World War II now, and the British suddenly discover from the archives this Treaty of Selma and McMahon line, and they're like, "Oh my God!" You know, this is a, this is a piece of boundary we totally forgot about, and this is this is a proof that we could we should be controlling this piece of territory. And they're they're afraid that um, the the longer they let the matter stand, you know, the Chinese government's uh, claim will strengthen. So so they decided, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna try to enforce our claim. So um, and and. They start to gear up, and especially around, um, uh, like in, during World War, uh, in the World War II, um, um, when when Japan was uh, already <laughs> overrunning much of China. So we're ta- we're talking about 1940s, and uh, in 1940s that the British uh, thought, okay, well. We better grab a piece, a piece of China as we can before J- Japanese got it all right. So, so they send, uh, they actually send in their British Indian Army into the region. They kicked out the Tibetan administrators from Ta, uh, from Dawang, and and uh, uh, you know, the, 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 of course, the Tibetans uh, um, uh, couldn't do much about it but you know this is um 
but still a huge area of region of this region were populated by tribes of hunter gatherers right they're they're not they're not tibetan they're not they're, they're culturally cl closer to people of southeast asia and and yunnan right and then but these people also they previously were vassals to the king of Burmi, and they didn't really answer to uh, the, the Tibetan Lama's rule, and and, and certainly now they they've been uh, being accosted by the British. Uh, in fact, I, I I talked to one of the guys from this region in two thousand oh eight. Uh, he basically said, yeah, before nineteen forty five, nineteen forty seven, um, none of his people have had seen an Indian person before. So, so it's it's only in the time of you know Indian independence, nineteen forty seven, India started to send uh, its army into this region to try to enforce their claim, um, and especially um, especially in nineteen fifty, when PL when the Indian uh, government got the wind that PLA was pushing into Tibet. They thought, okay, now we really gotta gotta be quick. So they kicked out the last remaining uh, Tibetan administrators from from the region, and 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 and, and sending army to 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 claim all the regions south of McMahon Line. Now, when when the Chinese People's Liberation Army first went into Lhasa, so um, there was a battle in the Battle of Chamdo. Uh, in eastern Tibet, and after that, you know, the Tibetan army collapsed, and then <clears throat> the Tibetan government represent the Tibetan local government uh, signed the seventeen point agreement with the Chinese central government under PRC, basically agreed to the peaceful liberation of Tibet, that allowed the People's Liberation Army to enter Lhasa in nineteen fifty. Now this is the. Uh, uh, at at the time when the when the People's Liberation Army entered Lhasa, they weren't even aware the fact that there was this boundary dispute in the eastern sector uh, around the McMahon Line, um, and it was the Tibetan local government. It was a representative of Tibetan local government, the Dalai Lama's government. They went to the PLA and say. Oh, oh! By the way, we are in dispute with these uh, Indian authorities. They kicked out our our monks from from our monasteries from this region, and that's when uh, you know the PLA and then the the Chinese Communist Party realized, oh, we inherited a boundary dispute. This ends part one of our series on the India-China relations particularly on the India-China border dispute. Uh, for more, please subscribe. To subscribe, search in Google the Silk and Steel podcast. The Patreon link should be the second one from the top. Or you can go to patreon.com. In the search box, type in Silk. So the Silk and Steel podcast should be the first one in the result. I put in a lot of time and effort to put together this podcast, and I do ask you for your support. For $5 a month, you will receive premium patron-only episodes like this that details culture, politics, history of China, 
its surrounding region, and China's relationship with the world. You will also receive pre-released regular episodes before they have been released to the general public, as well as newsletters detailing everything China-related topics. I hope you enjoy the show, and I hope you subscribe. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.